Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. And welcome in to the newest edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Colby Conway, at Colby R. Conway on Twitter and with me as always, not one but the two regulars here with me this week. Matt, I'll kick it over to you first at the salesman on Twitter. So, Matt, how is everything going for you this week? Uh, things are going well. We had a pretty good uh, week for NASCAR. Won people some money there. Um, Baseball is going pretty well. Um, I mean, well, as good as it can for my lowly Nationals <laughs> at this point. Um, but yeah, it's you know. Things are chugging along. I'm waiting until September to see who's going to be the uh, September call-ups that everybody's going to rush and go get. Um, James just picked one up uh, before we started recording, actually. Nice. And then speaking of that, James is actually here with us as well. So at still hasn't gotten the updated Twitter handle to my knowledge, so it's still <laughs> at the underscore real underscore grande. So, James, besides the Yankees continuing to stink, how is everything going for you? Whoa, whoa, man. We're 1-0 in our in our last uh, one game. So um, positive outlook this week, Colby. Uh, it is Monday, so lots of coffee has been consumed, you know. Um, and today, you know, I realized the first cup of coffee is like getting like an order of mozzarella sticks before your main meal or getting some, you know, mac and cheese bites, right? It's the appetizer. The first cup of coffee does nothing. The second cup of coffee is really where the where the productivity comes from. So um shout out to the second cup of coffee the first cup of coffee we just we just cruise past it but shout out to the second cup of coffee um that's really what i wanted to, to the hard-hitting analysis i had for for today well the first cup of coffee is just get you primed for the second one and really at exactly. that point coming off a weekend first cup of coffee on a monday morning is more so maintenance than anything agree it's you know nothing past that but i really like your, the way you're com- you're uh, compartmentalizing everything with the Yankees, that's a very Pirates philosophy, kind of like how. Hey man, they, we're we're one and zero since Boone's table slap. True, yeah. this is true. This is going to be a stat. You know, it's going to show up. Just, on <laughs> you let me know when you get to the point where you when the when the Yankees have like a lead in the first inning for a week, and it's and then you get to the point where it's like, man, if we score one run every inning, the entire <laughs> season, like we're on pace, we're going to have a top offense in Major League Baseball. So you're not quite you're not quite to the Pirates level yet but you're getting close the yankees won even with whit merrifield double doinking a ball off the top of the wall but you already know what i'm gonna say to that for a home run you let me know when they win a game without getting a hit (laughs) once they can win without getting a hit then i'll be convinced but until then i'm just you can't sell me on it you can't 
sell me on it. I mean, hey, Andrew ben, Andrew Benintendi finally hit a home run. So, I mean, that shows that I guess anything can happen because I, I was almost convinced that he wasn't going to hit a home run at all nope. during his nope. time with the Yankees. But we'll talk about that in a little bit more here in this episode. But of course, have to talk about it. Free NFL draft guide. Check it out. Season's right around the corner. Fantasy football drafts are in full swings. So make sure you're checking out the cheat sheet and everything involved in the draft guide. Once again, it's free. It is free. Zero dollars. It is free. Can't say it enough. So on to some baseball talk. Matt, let me come to you first. Dustin May made his long-awaited return, honestly, at a much-needed time for the Dodgers team that has starting pitchers dropping off and heading to the IL like flies at this point. Came in, five innings, nine strikeouts, tired the final, I believe it was 13 hitters that he faced. Uh, looked good. Obviously, he, he doesn't throw a baseball. He throws a damn frisbee. Let's be honest. The <laughs> no, movement he... is ridiculous. So obviously, he needs to be owned in pretty much every format with the offense backing him. But what kind of impact do you think for fantasy baseball purposes and I guess really for reality that Dustin May can make here down the stretch? I mean, let's not forget the pedigree that this guy had, right? Like before he was injured, Dustin May was viewed as a potential number two starter for them. Like you could bump Kershaw down to the three spot for maintenance and have um may up there or you have you know julio urias in the mix there too but um he's got absolutely filthy stuff just flat out filthy stuff you said it perfectly he throws frisbees man it's like ultimate frisbee out there with a bat instead of your hands um so you know how many innings is he gonna get i'd be shocked if he goes much past six in any start at this point because they just need him to stay healthy for the playoffs right they're clearly going to the playoffs. They're going to lock down that division. Um, and they just need all the pitching depth they can get for the actual playoffs. So in terms of fantasy, I think you can reliably get five innings out of them. I think you're going to get seven, eight, nine, ten strikeouts to start from them because the stuff is that good. Um, and you could be in the line for some wins because if he pitches five innings, he's going to qualify. Now, is he like gonna win you a league at this point well i don't know it depends on how close you are in categories or points or whatnot could he make a difference in the standings yes should he be owned absolutely but you know is he i can't go out there and tell you if you get him you're gonna win even if you're in like dead last place right he'll make a difference he'll make an impact if you're in first he'll help you hold first other than that he'll help you climb at least a spot in the standings depending on how close you are uh, James, for the rest of the year for DFS wise, how many times do you think if, if you happen to be doing the playbook or any DFS content when Dustin May is pitching the rest of the way, given that he probably won't go too late in the games, might be more of a GPP option. But how often do you think you will write him up the rest of the way, assuming positive health? Uh, very. And Matt hit it on the head like he has. He just misses bats. Um, he kind of reminds me of like the righty Chris Sale. With the way his stuff moves, um, the the Except alive version, dead. the alive version of Purcell, <laughs> the 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 version that is was breathing, and I used the past tense was because we. Hey, know. maybe uh, Chris Sale had to die for Dustin May to live. Maybe. This could be this could be true, Matt. This is this is point. Um, you know, so I I'm gonna write him up a lot, solely based off the strike at upside. But like Matt said, it's. It's Dave Roberts' M.O. to begin with, with guys to not pitch them deep into games. And especially, you know, coming off the injury he did, I mean, there's just no chance he's ever probably touching 90 pitchers in a game this year. So, um, you know, I think 
we're going to see a lot of starts where because he misses a lot of bats, the pitch count, you know, piles up quickly and he might not even qualify for wins. Um, so I think he's best suited for ratios and seasonal. I think there's going to be times where you look at his price in DraftKings and Fandle and it doesn't make sense given like teams lower strikeout rates and whatnot, because those are the teams that are going to force him out of the game in four innings because he's at 80 pitches. So um, I think it's, I think it's a, a very quality pickup, but like Matt said, I don't view him as a league winner. I think next year is the the leap that he'll take. You know, that's the year we'll we'll really see how good Dustin May is and if he can help win leagues. Um, but right now, given Dust, uh, Dave Roberts' history with pitchers to begin, I mean, Julio Rice still hasn't thrown more than ninety pitches. He's made twenty five starts this year, so um, <laughs> so uh, I think Dustin now, May. Now that they know they're not getting Bueller back. There's no reason to push May because you need as many healthy starters for that playoff run as possible. Well, plus, and and even if they don't even use him as a starter in the postseason, you're getting two plus inning, two to four innings out of a guy who's going to juice it up to 100 miles an hour in those in those low leverage or the high leverage uh, one two inning per like postseason innings that he's going to get if he's not used as a starter. I mean, we're talking about a, a dominant part of their pen, so. Um, no reason to rush Dustin May back. Good, good, solid pickup for ratios, but don't expect a lot of wins because uh, I don't see a lot of five plus inning starts out of him. Yeah, I think that is the right way to look at it. He'll be very impactful on like a per inning basis, but yep. overall, just the, the longevity and length in the games might be missing for May the rest of the way. Uh, fun little thing here to talk about over the last, I believe it is nine games. I believe if I have it correct, some young gun by the name of Albert Pujols. <laughs> Is hitting 556 with six home runs and 13 RBI. And I believe I saw something that said that he is done after this year. No matter, yep. he's going to be done. He's at 692 right now, and he is trying to hit a home run every single time because he wants <laughs> 700, and he does not want to be tempted to come back for what seems like his like 38th professional season in the major. So simply put, James, I'll come to you first. Does Pujols get to 700 by season's end? Oh, man. Do I want it to happen so badly? Um, so he needs eight. What do we have? Um, Got what, at least 40 games? 40 left? games. 42 games? Is that the exact number? 42 games left? Let me see um, what the Cardinals yeah, record 40, is here. I think it's 42 games left. Um, so he needs eight home runs, 42. By my math, uh, you know, my, maybe not anyone else's math. Um, he needs one about every what fifth five. game? Yeah, every five games will do it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's we're 100, in the 110, 120. I mean, yeah, he's homering once every four we're, and a half at bats over no, the past nine games. I mean, like, the, sorry, I I wrote this up in the DFS playbook for Monday. It's like when has like when in the last ten years has Pujols been this good? Like, literally, like, in the last 10 years, like, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know the answer to that question. Um, So I'm not going to put it past one of the best hitters we're ever going to see, even in this, like, advanced age. And I, I, I don't know. I want to see it so badly. Um, 42 games is not a lot of time for eight home runs for a 40-plus-year-old guy, but... I don't know. As long as he keeps facing lefties, I think anything is possible. That's what Kevin Garnett told us, so... <laughs> um, I'm going to go, you know what? I'm going to say he 
ends his career with 700 home runs. He's the gatekeeper to the 700 club? Yep, 700 on the dot. Imagine how poetic it's going to be when he hits 700 on game 162. Like, imagine that. Like, he goes into that game with, oh, my God, you got to lead him off, right? Yeah, are they home for their final game of the season? I don't know, but. Oh, no, they're not. They're in Pittsburgh. How about that? Cool. Well, he better he better get to seven hundred before that series. I'm they actually you. they actually finish against with back to back series against Pittsburgh because they're at home against Pittsburgh Ooh. for three <sighs> games, and then they go to Pittsburgh. That's a tough three. draw for uh, a team hopefully, that has aspirations past the regular season. That's a tough draw. Hopefully, Zach he doesn't see too much Zach Thompson in there. I don't you know I don't want Zach Thompson to shut him down. As yes. B- by the way, Colby, you pointed out his last nine games. Uh, here's a tweet from Ryan Spader, who I believe is like the Cardinals beat writer um, for either MLB or the you know St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Uh, in his last 28 games played, Albert Pujols is slashing 408, 459, 829, and his 1288 OPS is the best in MLB over that stretch. That is insane. <laughs> so... He's only got to do it once every five days, right? He's only got to hit a home run once every five days to get there. Um, the NLDH is clearly the reason he came back and is playing in the NL. Um, and I think St. Louis is going to give him every possible opportunity to get to 700. Um, and watch, 700 will be deposited in the same spot that uh, the 70th home run for Big Mac went um, right over the right field or left field fence. But yeah, I think I think I'm I'm right there with James. I think he gets to exactly 700. I think I would say so as well. Let's talk about Josh Hader, big time trade acquisition who has been big time bad. I guess there's no other <laughs> way to say it. And since he's come to the Potters, I mean, some of the issues were prior to. Like it, it, it's not just like the trade happened and he's become, you know, struggling all of a sudden. I mean, he's got a 16.2. ERA in five appearances with the Padres, but the struggles have persisted prior to the trade deadline. He had a little real rough stretch where he allowed nine earned runs while recording just one out coming against Minnesota and San Fran. So the struggles have been there a bit for Hader. And now apparently that he's going to be given quote, a little break from the closer role. Seems like to me, Matt, this is more so of hopefully like a, a mental shift in terms of like, you're out of the ninth, just go carve up in the seventh and eighth innings where it doesn't matter and then be ready down the stretch to close games out in the ninth. So his fantasy value is going to take a little bit of a hit now, but do you have any long-term concerns with Hater? I mean, obviously the struggles have persisted now for a, a good chunk of the summer months. Um, no, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that I see this, the struggles continuing. Um, let's keep in mind, A, he pitched his entire career in the NL Central, right? And the summer is usually jam-packed with a bunch of divisional games. And so if you're seeing a bunch of the guys for a bunch of seasons in a row and you're really only throwing two pitches, people are kind of, you know, if one of them isn't working great, then it makes it easier to, to be hit. The other thing that I want to point out, and I heard this, I'm pretty sure it was on MLB Network. They pointed out that um, just before the trade, Josh Hader and his wife had a complicated uh pregnancy and birth of their child um so first of all hope all is well there secondly we got to remember these guys are humans right so like if there's family stuff going on 
it can be pretty hard to compartmentalize that and go out and be the lockdown guy um, you've been known to be. So I'm not all that concerned with him going into like next year. For the rest of this year, yeah, you're going to lose some saves because I'm not sure they're going to put him back there uh, in the ninth for a while. But going forward, I'm not like, you know, in the next year, I'm not all that concerned. James, anything to add? I mean, when you look at some of the numbers, he's been pretty unlucky. Um, The strikeout rate has not tailed off in any form. I mean, 38.7% K rate. Um, The walks are on par with what he's done every year. Um, The home runs are obviously a little bit concerning, but like nothing that we're like, he's a fly ball pitcher. When people make contact, everything's in the air. Um, I mean, 530 ERA, sure. 297 XFIP. Like we're talking about almost two runs lower. Um, His 319 BABIP is crazy high compared to what his career mark is so like uh, i just looked it up milwaukee is like was a slightly better defense than a league average so like wasn't getting much help there um and yeah this the the struggles with the home run ball and and his short time in san diego hasn't been great but um it's really just unlucky and he's this is a big park upgrade for him as well pitching there so i do think he'll get back to the ninth inning role at some point this year mainly because uh, the options also are looking around like you know they have a guy who was starting for them earlier in the year now like in high leverage options they have the eighth Luis Garcia in the league at the end of their bullpen as well um and neither of those guys have any sort of closing pedigree whatsoever um if either of them struggle what's the point of keeping them there when you could just go back to a guy that has had you know multiple 30 save seasons and has been a little bit unlucky. So right now, yes, it hurts your ratios. There's no like answer off the waiver wire in San Diego that you want uh, because they could, they're going to go to a committee. Um, but I think you trust the, you know, like Joel Embiid said, trust the process, keep Hater on your bench for now. Um, he'll be there by the end of the year, in my opinion. I think that's a good way of looking at it. And he's simply, he's, he's too good. Even though he's struggling, yeah. he's too good to drop. You can't drop him. Cause even so, I mean, Sure, maybe the ERA is a little bit higher, but his 15.1K per nine still surely plays. Yep. You can live with some of the other stuff, and hopefully that luck turns out. Like, that BABIP is insane. It's just absolutely nuts compared to where it has been. Uh, for Detroit, one of their prized off I guess prize, if you want to use that word, <laughs> offseason acquisitions, Eduardo Rodriguez made his return to the mound uh, this week, and looking at him, he was fine. Five innings, four hits, three walks, five strikeouts. Didn't really induce a ton of whiffs, but Faced a Angels lineup that has largely underperformed, and like we talked about, that team just stinks. There's just yep. no other way around it. Um, he b- did miss a lot of time. I believe it was personal reasons uh, that he was out for over over three months, actually, looking at yep. it. But he's back. Should make a couple starts the rest of the way. Uh, James, any interest in him? If he's, like, available in leagues, is he worth a pickup, or is he someone that's just in deeper leagues, sure, but in shallower leagues, you probably don't need to worry about Erod. I mean, like, he's okay, uh, and you know, in competitive leagues, like there's not many better options, I would say out there on the, on the waiver wire, um, the strikeouts have been down in his, you know, limited time on the mound. He's made nine starts. Strikeouts are down. Walks are up. Um, which you hate to see the, you know, sub four ERA is fine. Um, but like 
if he's not striking guys out and he's walking more batters, he's not going to get run support or wins in Detroit. Like, it's really tough to be excited about Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, I was actually very high in him coming into the year. I thought the Tigers would be better. I thought this was a good signing for them. Just, you know, given the fact that Rodriguez had been pitching way better than his numbers suggested the last couple of years, um, had been missing a lot of bats at, by the end of last year, too, had one of his best, you know, the best statistical season by in terms of strikeout rate just a year ago. Um, so, like, if he can get back to that short, it's obviously dicey. Um, but if you're in dire straits for pitching, like, you could do worse than Eduardo Rodriguez. You just need the ratios to balance out a little bit. He's, again, walking too many guys and, and not striking out enough. Matt, anything to add regarding Eduardo Rodriguez? Nope, I'm in locked up there with James that you just need more strikeouts from him, less walks, because that's the only thing you're going to get from him. Yep. Like, not a big chance of wins. Detroit's offense is so bad um, that, you know, you. but he's a healthy arm. Yep. Right? That's the logic for keeping lefties who can't get anybody out in yep. rotations. Is <laughs> he's a healthy arm, speaking of Patrick Corbin. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nothing to get excited about except you get pitching depth. Maybe another potential flyer on the mound would be Mike Soroka with Atlanta making his way back. Haven't seen him since 2020 through just 13 innings um, in that season. Just at least the Achilles that has really kept him. But he's working his way back. Obviously, he's going to come back to a team that will give him ample run support. Again, he's going to be someone. How much do we see of him even when he was in the big league level, strikeouts weren't really a big thing. He was able to pitch to a good ERA, but a lot of his other peripheral numbers indicated that he was maybe a little bit more lucky on that end. So, Matt, any interest in Mike Soroka as a flyer, assuming we get more inf- more concrete information about his return? I believe that date is still kind of up in the air. Yeah, it is. They're kind of just seeing how he, you know, feels days after his, his um, rehab starts and, and whatnot. But the last... You know, the last one was was okay. It wasn't great. Uh, no strikeouts in three and a third innings. Um, in his last rehab start, Triple A. That speaks to the lack of strikeouts that we've seen. He's only ever topped out in the majors. It's seven point three mm-hmm. K per nine, which is not really great. Uh, the walks are decent. Um, ERA numbers are solid, although the FIP is about a run higher. Than, than his ERA. So, look, it, this is kind of the opposite of Eduardo Rodriguez, right? Because Erod is capable of striking guys out and not walking very many people and not going to get wins, and his ratios will be okay. Soroka, his ratios will be okay, except he's not going to strike a lot of people out. He's not going to walk a lot of guys, and he's still going to get wins because of the run support that he'll get from Atlanta's offense, assuming that he goes five innings. Um. So is he worth a pickup? Yeah, as a flyer, sure. The guy was previously a pretty good pitcher back, I mean, it was 2019, but he hasn't forgotten how to pitch since then, right? We just need him to stay healthy. So I would take a flyer on Soroka. I'm not dropping anybody major to get him, uh, but I would take a, a flyer as a you know healthy arm in a good, uh, good ball club. I would agree with that. Uh, James, would you make it a perfect three for three clean sweep? No, I actually am on the complete opposite side. And I think um, you got to look at, first off, I think, Matt, you spoke on it first. Like, there's no 
strikeout upside. I mean, he struggled striking out, striking out major league hitters. Um, and then in his rehab start, which I get it, it's just the second one of the year, didn't strike out any minor leaguers, which I think is a pause for concern. Plus, then you look at it, it's like, okay, when is he going to return, right? A guy who doesn't strike anyone out, who could qualify for wins, but how deep is into games is he going to pitch as he builds back himself, right? I know it's not an arm injury or anything, um, but still, they're obviously, you know, kind of, they don't, another guy they don't need to rush back to, like, heavy innings. They have the frontline starters they need for their, the playoffs. And then you look at September call-ups. Who does he stack up against against all the guys that are going to be called up around the same time he is? Um, I would rather take up take shots on um, most of the prospects being called up over Soroka because they are going to provide more strikeout upside um, and aren't necessarily limited like Soroka likely will, will be when he returns. So I'm on the opposite side. I think if my in, my interest in Soroka lies in 2023 and as a late round flyer, um, but not not in 2022 with you know a month plus left in the season. Now I I see both sides of that. Let's see if we all agree about Joey Gallo, who is honing the Yankees curse right now as he continues to thrive in LA and the <laughs> Yankees continue to stink. So I don't must own is a tough term, and I believe Matt, you talked about before. It's hard given who you're going to drop, how many right. people are in your league, everything like that. So Mustone's a bit of a sticky word, to say the least. But let's say this, deeper formats only. Does Joey Gallo deserve a roster spot? I mean, since leaving the New York Yankees and heading to L.A., he's hitting 267, still has a 40% strikeout rate, but that's just never going to go away, so let's just get right. used to it. But 434 Woba, 184 WRC+, plus, three home runs, a double mixed in there. He's he's hitting the ball well. The strikeouts are going to be there. Like I said, they are inevitable. But the hard contact is there, and he's been quite impressive within the Dodgers lineup. I think in deeper formats, he has to be owned, so I'll kind of set the bar there. So, Matt, where are you in terms of owning Joey Gallo? Let's say, let's say 12 to 14 teamers. I'm fine with that. Um, you know, he's you got to write a hot streak with him, right? He's a streaky yep. guy. So we got to take him while he's hot, which he is. He's getting hit all over the Dodgers batting order right now. Um, he's literally hit anywhere from leadoff to like fifth to eighth. So obviously we'd prefer him to hit fifth or sixth. That's going to be where he gets the most run opportunity, you know, RBI opportunities. And we can't complain about the division in terms of ballparks, right? Dodger Stadium is a great hitter's park. So is Coors. San Diego is a pretty nice hitter's park. Yeah, you got San Francisco, but every division has, you know, that park. Um, so I'm fine with, with adding him again. It'd be for a guy that's mostly riding your bench at this point and, and just get some depth there with a guy who's hitting well right now and definitely has power. James, where I know I know you're a little biased in this because the curse is inevitably affecting you more than most. But Joey Gallo <laughs> is he a must own twelve to fourteen team formats? Well, two things. One, I think the curse has split down the middle between Gallo and Jordan Montgomery um, because a lot of things have come out about Montgomery and his like fiance almost done being in school in New York and then they traded him and like they didn't like tell him and like he's now pitching very angry. Uh, he's not one. So I think it's a 50, 50 split. Um, I think it's reasonable to pick him up um, in 12 to 14 team leagues. Like Matt always says, like, who would you drop? Like 
for me, like just looking around like the landscape of things, how about someone like like a, a Marcelo Zuna type who's just kind of largely been disappointing all year is now getting into legal trouble and like again, again <laughs> like someone like that who's like been like a fringe starter all year, like all right, this guy's gonna come around, he's gonna come around, he's he's right, he's gonna come around, right, right? Oh no, oh we're gonna get into legal trouble. Oh oh crap. Uh, Joey Gallo sitting there, I think. Ozuna, like an Ozuna, Ozuna type of resume is a perfect drop for Gallo. I agree. I think, you know, Matt said it correctly. Like when Jolie Gallo has been hot throughout his career, he's been a very good fantasy producer because he hits a lot of home runs. He's going to drive in runs. And even the OBP is higher than it's ever been. Um, you know, I'll try to outside of the, the stint prior to getting traded to the Yankees originally. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Gallo is going to ha- like you said, Colby, like he's going to strike out. It is what it is. We're not, we're not that, you know, he's not changing that suddenly. So uh, I do think Gal is a good pickup. And um, if you have someone like Ozuna or Ozuna himself, uh, you can drop him for Joey Gal. And then let's talk a little bit here, wrap up this episode. Just a couple players at our level of concern uh, with some of these guys. So let's start in Minnesota with Tyler Molly went on the IL with shoulder inflammation. This whole shoulder fatigue thing has kind of been prevalent all year for him. Now he finally happens to hit the IL with it. And Minnesota gave up a good little bit to get him. Mm-hmm. Um, only lasted two and a thirds in his last start. Prior to that, though, he dominated the Angels. But I don't know how much we can really look into that, to be honest. So <laughs> Minnesota's probably a little bit worried about that shoulder of his. But it's it's kind of been around all season. It looks like it finally just reared its ugly head at this point now. So James, I'll come to you first. What is your level of concern with Tyler Molle the rest of the way for the twins? I mean, we should be largely concerned. Anytime you start talking shoulder in general, like if you start talking shoulder in April, March, May, it's concerning, but we're in like, we're about to be in September. Um, how many starts was he even going to make rest of season, you know? Uh, and now we're, we're missing at least three trips around the rotation uh, I'm very concerned. Seven plus seven point seven. I mean, they got him to be a frontline guy. They got him to be in the rotation for the postseason, um, and he looked really good. And then he did, uh, and now the shoulders acting up. So uh, I'm I'm highly concerned, especially given the the short span left on this season. Matt, what about you? Uh, I'm right there. I mean, I know the MRI did come back clean for Malay. Uh, but there was a pretty substantial velo drop um, right. about halfway through that shortened last start. I think he fell off about six to eight miles an hour, um, like between the first and second innings. Um, and shoulders are always tricky now for, for starters, right? It used to be the elbow and the shoulder was fine. And now it's kind of switched where if it's an elbow, there's very little concern. And if it's a shoulder, it just spirals into stuff. Um so we'll see. I mean, I think they just give him some rest and then work him back. But whether he pitches for the Twins in the regular season again, I I don't know. It, it makes it pretty tight uh, with the timeline if he has a rehab starter two in there as well. And then in Chicago, Seiya Suzuki hitting 10 home runs, seven stolen bases, 249 average on the year. He's gotten a little bit hotter here in August, but his numbers for the month of August are still a little bit down. He's been more hot of late, I should say, but really he's just destroyed Milwaukee. Four of his 10 home runs have come against the Brewers this (laughs) season, but he's largely underwhelmed 
for the most part, especially in recent memory, just leading up to the past couple of games here. But yep. I mean, 10 home runs, seven stolen bases, 107 WRC plus. That's fine. He had a lot of hype coming into the year and had a good start, but inevitably cooled off. And I think he missed some time with a finger injury that could have disrupted the rhythm a little bit here. Obviously, should still be really enticing for fantasy managers next season. But the rest of the way, is there any level of concern with, say, a Suzuki? Matt, I'll kick it over to you first. No, not necessarily. I think he's heating up um, his last game. He he uh, went. He had a pretty good day yesterday or uh, the last game out. Uh, three for three with a home run, a single, and a double, and a walk. That's that's pretty good. I I think a couple things are true. One, he's making a lot of adjustments coming stateside, right? Mm-hmm. Like going from any level of international ball to MLB right off the bat is a huge jump because uh, they simply a don't see this many different pitchers in a season in Japan. They don't see this level of stuff on a regular basis in Japan and the entire Cubs offense around him hasn't really been good right the guy we thought would be the the lockdown starting first baseman for the Cubs Frank Schwindel got sent to the minor leagues like two months ago right um they've been just shifting a bunch of dudes in and out we also thought that Ian Happ and um blanking on the you know the catcher Contreras were going to get traded and they didn't. So that probably like shook up the locker room. So I'm not all that concerned. I think he's fine. Um, Obviously going forward into next year, I think we all expect big things from him. I took him in the first round of a dynasty draft uh, this past year because I expect him to be around and good for a while. So I'm, I'm not all that concerned with say a Suzuki right now. The next one should be interesting. And of the the trio that I provide here, I think this is this is the player that maybe the concern is a bit higher on, albeit very young. But in Pittsburgh, O'Neill Cruz, 23-year-old, 7-foot, 8-inch shortstop <laughs> as of right now, probably future outfielder maybe as soon as next year. If you just look at certain numbers, it's enticing. You know, nine home runs and six stolen bases in only 50 games and that over a full 162-game season – That comes to 29 homers, 19 stolen bases, 93 RBIs. That looks appealing. However, he's hitting just a buck 96. The strikeout rate, which we knew was going to be a problem with him, has been bad. And the worst of it is against lefties, where he has a 52.9% strikeout rate on the year. So obviously he's a lefty. I get it. But he has just been completely overmatched against lefties. The nine home runs and six stolen bases in 50 games is quite good, but that batting average is putrid. The strikeout rates are bad. He swings and misses. When he does make contact, sure, he might send one you know, all the way across the city and maybe even out of the zip code, but there's a ton of swing and miss in his game right now. That hasn't quite developed yet, but again, he's only 23, getting his first extended stay in the majors here. So, Matt, I'll come to you, kind of the big prospect guru here. I mean, this guy has all the potential in the world, and a lot of what we figured has kind of played true and that the strikeouts are going to be a real problem. So what is your level of concern, at least for this year, and maybe even long-term, I guess, if you have it, with O'Neill Cruz? Um, so to address the strikeouts, A, he's six foot seven. <laughs> Right, so he's got a massive strike zone. If it goes from letters to kneecaps, that's like four and a half feet, maybe more. So you're saying um, he should shrink? I'm just saying the pitchers are taking advantage of what they can take advantage of, right? 
If I'm a lefty pitcher and I'm facing a six foot seven left handed batter, where am I going? I'm going inside and then I'm going off the plate because it's going to look like it's on the plate when you're a lefty batter facing a lefty pitcher. It's not that hard to see why he's striking out 52% of the time against lefties. Does he need to learn plate discipline? Yes, but that's kind of been the thing for him throughout his entire minor league career was, hey, this guy would be great if he could just learn some plate discipline, Um, which, you know, he was starting to do it, um, you know, in the upper minors recently. The power and the steals, great. Perfect. Keep them where they are. You cut down the strikeout rate, the batting average will pop because it's a 267 BABIP and a 273 WOBA, even with a sub-200 batting average. So I'm I'm not that concerned. Let the guy take his, his uh, you know, strikeouts now in games that, apologies to you, Colby, don't matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... <laughs> He'll learn plate discipline and, you know, be good going forward. And then, James, I mean, we talked about the strikeout that's going to be there, but 2023, is that when he goes 40-40 with a 300-plus batting average? What are, what are we thinking with Cruz? What's your level of concern? Should be zero, but where, where are you at? How do I follow that up? What do nod, I do? You nod and agree. Uh, I mean, yeah, 2022 is dead. You drop him. Um I th- I mean, not like obviously redraft you dropping or not. He's, I I don't see how you. I mean, I guess shortstop is so bad. You I guess you can hold on to him, and you just only play him when he's facing a righty. Yeah, twenty twenty three will be fine. Um, I I think we can get away with the strikeout rate of some guys, but like obviously fifty two percent K rate is concerning. I mean, look what happened. You know, different type of prospect, but look what happened to Akil Badu this year. Couldn't hit lefties to save his life. Uh, struck out a whole bunch against them, spent three-fourths of the season thus far in AAA. So um, he needs to put the ball in play a little bit more um, before I'm, like, fully convinced he's, like, a long-term fantasy asset. Um, Now, everything he does is cool, and I love watching him do the cool things, but he just doesn't do cool things enough, right? Other than be cool, because he's so cool. He needs to do more cool things. Uh, and that's my piece, and I'm sticking to it. So are you saying that he'll only go 30-30 with a 280 batting average next year instead of 40-40 with a 300? Yeah, I'm thinking it's more maybe even like 35-35 and like 285, you know? Something around those, mm. something around that. I think so you're, Colby's going to be a little low. the rest of the day now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what you mean by that. I'm completely reasonable and rational. All the he time. just has to try to spend the rest of the day calming himself down. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, if he just gets that strikeout rate from 37.9% to like 37.8%, it's over. Like, the league's done. Like, he's going to go nuclear. That is what is going to happen. And hopefully the first base, first base can get some extra padding in that glove because with the missiles he throws over. But you're right, James. He does cool stuff. It's just how consistent can we get the cool stuff? Right. I think that's consistency is going to be the big thing that he'll work on. But I mean, the I guess the beauty of the whole situation is the guy's only 23. Right. You know, so plenty of room to grow. But that is everything that we had for this week's edition of the Fantasy Alarm Fantasy Baseball Podcast. So, of course, I mentioned it earlier. 
fantasy baseball is still going on, but if you do have some fantasy football drafts mixed in between your MLB DFS contests and all the MLB and fantasy baseball research you're doing, the draft guide is free. That is $0. It is free, zero cents, free, $0, free. Check it out. A lot of great stuff in there. And then obviously continue checking out everything for fantasy baseball and DFS with the playbook, whether you do the player props on prize picks or underdog, all of that is there. And then obviously Matt sells at the salesman on Twitter gets all of your racing needs on the weekend and hopefully following up an impressive weekend this past weekend that we had. So we'll be back next week with the next edition of the fantasy alarm fantasy baseball podcast. So we will see you then. Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.